search the world But it couldn't fill me Man's empty prayers and treasures that fade are never enough And you came along Hallelujah And put me back together Every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you.
you there's nothing better than you Lord there's nothing nothing is better than you one more time oh there's nothing better than you there's nothing better than you Lord there's nothing nothing is better than you all right well hello church nice to be here this morning we are going to be starting a brand new sermon series on the book of Jonah this morning. If you have a Bible, there's one also in the pew in front of you. It is, I don't know, I haven't mentioned this yet. We probably should talk about it. When I read, um, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, the extra special version. Kidding. Um, the ones in front of you is the NIV, which is a adequate, completely adequate translation as well. So um, they're not the same though. So when I read from my text, and if you have a pew Bible, you're going to see some differences. Um, I probably should rectify that sooner than later. But just to let you know, um, that's the case with the Bible in front of you. So um, Jonah is a rather interesting book. If you have spent any time in the church in your life, when you think of Jonah, you think of what? A whale, a fish, or, you know, like in my generation, it was Veggie Tales, and I don't know what they did with it. And then, you know, the kids' book says, you know, basically, Jonah ran from God, and he was swallowed up and spit out, a uh, story ended. And then it kind of moves on. If you spend time in Jonah, you realize there's a lot, there's a lot more going on here. And the fish takes about one verse of space, actually. So the story is not even really about the fish, as we're going to find out even this morning. To understand kind of what we're reading, the book of Jonah is kind of like reading a comic book or watching a cheesy 80s movie that's like exaggerated, you know, like Princess of the Bride fans, anybody here? Yeah. It's funny because it's like kind of a satire. It's kind of making fun of some of those, you know, old kind of night movies, and it's exaggerated, and it's comic in the way that it does so. Jonah, whoever wrote this story down, which, you know, this is a true story, but he, he, he gave us details on purpose to be a little bit exaggerated to kind of get our attention here, and it's also a satire, if you will. It's, in a way, um, uh, kind of exposing um, the very things that a prophet of God should not be. All of our expectations of what should happen when a prophet is called by God ends up not happening in this book, right? I heard one pastor say it's kind of like a Saturday Night Live skit, you know? It's like making fun of a celebrity or actor or whatever. It's like everything you would expect does not happen. And it's actually kind of funny because the Bible is funny sometimes. Uh, Jonah himself, we don't really know a lot about him. All that we really know, he's mentioned really obscurely and briefly in 2 Kings 14. He was a prophet beneath in the northern kingdom of Israel, underneath a king named Jeroboam II. And all that we know about Jonah is that he prophesied that this king would restore the borders that had been lost 
in this northern kingdom. It was a time when Assyria was kind of the dominant global power, if you will. They were the rulers. They were the one that was in charge. They were also already in this season of Israel's life exacting a, a tax from them, extracting a tax from them that was heavy and basically saying, pay us money and we'll leave you alone, right? If you don't pay us the money, you better watch out because they were spreading their empire, right? And Syria, which borders Israel, they were they're pretty close to Israel and the northern kingdom was right there. But Jonah loved his nation and he prophesied that the borders would be like kind of pushed back a little bit into Assyria during the time of this king, who was a very wicked king, by the way. If you read his story, he was not a king to be revered or imitated. He was a wicked guy, not a God-fearing man. So this was a very tumultuous time in the Northern Kingdom's history. They were not flourishing. The empire of Assyria was growing and growing. They kind of got some ground a little bit in this season. And these Assyrians were the wicked of the wicked, people who study, you know, uh, uh, past history and want to find out, like, who are some of the most evil people and, and the most uh, um, uh, explicitly just domineering manner in which these evil empires expanded and grew? Assyria is like top three. I mean, brutal, brutal treatment of their enemies by way of, you know, public executions and public, you know, skinnings. And I even read that they would cut off all of the uh, limbs that set one arm so they would impale their victims. They could shake one hand still. I mean, just brutal, brutal stuff. Wicked. And this is what makes this story all the more shocking because we see the exposing of God's heart for the nations and even for those like the Assyrians. Let's read this story together beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. What does that word mean, Amittai? It means faithfulness. We already see a little bit of a, a laughter kind of thing here, ironic, that Jonah is called the son of faithfulness because he is not faithful whatsoever. Verse 2, arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Pretty standard stuff for a prophet. Hey, prophet. Yeah, I need you to go do something for me. And what does a prophet usually do? They go and do. Read the book of Kings when the different prophets will come up, Elijah, etc. You have the different prophetic books in the Old Testament that start off very similar, pretty standard stuff. You would expect a prophet to say, great. Maybe they have a gripe like Jeremiah, complain a little bit, but they would eventually go. What do we read here? But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish, from the presence to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God, if you look at a map, okay, Nineveh's west of Israel. Where did Jonah go? Tarshish is somewhere east. People debate if it's really a place or just kind of like it means like the way of the sea. And, you know, it's a little bit obscure, but what it really means is like, you know, go to the galaxy far, far away. Like that's where Jonah was off to. God said, go right. Jonah went left, right? Because he heard, he said, Nineveh? Like, wait, wait, wait. Everything I just said about Nineveh, you know, that's what, what they were like. And is in the middle of all of this, God says, go to Nineveh. It would be like, you know, after Pearl Harbor happened, if they said, hey, you know, God said, go to Tokyo in the streets and tell them that that was not okay. Or, you know, go to Berlin in World War II and tell, you know, the, the Third Reich, you know, stop. Like, you're putting your 
your, your neck out. This is a dangerous mission. This is to the very enemies of Israel, right? And, and this is something that um, Jonah didn't have a place for in his mind. He said, no, I, 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 I don't think so, Lord. Like, this doesn't fit. This doesn't fit when, when I'm called to obedience here. This doesn't fit into my perception and understanding of things. We don't know much about where he was at, but he seems a little tightly wound right here. Like he seems like he's been walking kind of like just clenching his fist for quite a while. And then God said, hey, go to Nineveh. And he was like, oh, okay, I'm done. That's it. No more. Psh, I'm God, you, you, my, you know, the last straw that broke the camel's back here. I'm out of here. I'm going to Tarshish the place that's far away, the place that is in the opposite direction of the land of Israel, and especially from Nineveh. And so he goes down to Joppa, which is on the west coast of the border of the nation of Israel. He finds a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. He went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Lots of repetition in this place. So if we kind of push pause here, like what is... You know, I want to kind of back up a little bit and, and look at this from a bigger picture here, okay? Because maybe we can relate if you want to be honest with yourself this morning. Jonah was seeking something else other than the will of God that perhaps he imagined was just a little superior to God's will. And that's the ever-elusive Tarshish, right? It's kind of a weird thing to say in English, Tarshish. That's what he probably thought, right? He said, God, I, I think I know better here. Um, no. Because what happens if you, you know, God could have just judged Nineveh. He could have just, you know, plopped down and, and brought judgment and wiped them out. But he wanted to send them a warning. Okay? And if you're getting a warning, what opportunity is then being presented to these Ninevites. That was the capital of Assyria, by the way. A huge, great, like the New York City of the ancient Near East. Huge city. What opportunity would be afforded to these people if they were to receive a warning? Forgiveness and grace. Something that we know Jonah was not willing to extend. Something we know Jonah said, no way. Those people maybe getting any opportunity to worship the same God did I worship? No. No. And so he goes off to Tarshish. Now I think in our, in, in our own individual lives, perhaps we have our own kind of ships of Tarshish that we can cultivate in our minds to think maybe, I, I, you know, I know what this Bible might say. I know what the Christian teachings are. I know the things that Christ has done and has said and even has called us to do as the church and called me to do as one of his children, called me to a new life in him, but sometimes I just think I know better. Sometimes I imagine that perhaps God's will for me just doesn't cut it. And maybe there's other things that could provide something superior. We don't usually express these things out loud, but if you look at our actions often and the motivations of our heart, they do express those things, if you're willing to be honest about it. Our modern times, when you walk up to this, you know, the, 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 the modern culture of America today is very much a, a port full of ships going to various Tarshishes, if you will, various visions 
of life that may just be a little bit better than what God has cast here. Temptations to say, maybe the good life can be over here. Maybe something better for you can be found over here. Maybe a different path over here could be just a little better. The gospel has presented a vision that God is actively, we've talked about this here recently, he is actively and has been for thousands of years reconciling the world to himself through the death and resurrection of his son and through the giving of the Holy Spirit. He has equipped you and the church to be a glimpse of the age that is to come. When he returns to make all things new, we're a glimpse of that today and how we love others and how we serve others. I, I love the prayer that Miss Sarah just, just prayed over you mothers here to say that what you've learned to be able to be shared amongst others, that's the spirit of Jesus because he has shared himself with us and wants us to go out and do so all the while denying yourself and being willing to even put your own neck out for Jesus and for others. That's the Christian way of living. And that self-denial part is awful hard, right? The other parts may say, yeah, yeah, I don't need to love other people, but the, the self-denial part is what keeps getting us stuck often. And perhaps also our love for other people keeps getting us stuck as well. Jesus offers this living water, and we often think there's another spring of water over here that might just be a little better, might be just a little more fulfilling. Jesus says, love your enemies, and maybe you say, yeah, but that person, you know how they voted? Or do you know how they think about this political issue or that political issue? And I don't know about loving those people. Really? Do you know what they just people do or what people believe? Right? These kind of cultural conversations are in front of us. Right? And so as we're at this kind of port, okay, in modern day terms, full of these different ships of Tarshish, I want to kind of walk through what some of these things may actually you know, kind of be today that are temptations for us to, you know, eventually start slowly, maybe slowly, what often happens, we slowly find ourselves away from the will of God and walking in directions that are not the, the, the calling, to fulfill the calling of these, the, to be this ambassador, these agents of reconciliation of people full of the spirit that are loving God and loving their neighbor and sharing and spreading the good news of Jesus. Things that can derail that calling is like a ship to Tarshish, things that can derail us from that. Jonah got derailed here in his own heart because of his hatred for the Assyrians, and God's will got derailed, and he hightailed it in the opposite direction. What are things that can derail us today from the will of God in our life, from living these things out? Um, things like um, identity searches and needs. Today, we, we are in a crisis where people just simply don't know who they are anymore. And they're looking everywhere to try to define who they are. They're looking at this group or this group. They're looking at their own ethnicity to say, this is who I am. They're looking at their vocations. They're looking at this, you know, uh, uh, a pursuit of a group that claims one sexual identity. It says, well, maybe if I just follow this group and claim what they do, I can find fulfillment for the first time. I can find meaning for the first time. And God is, is knocking on, the, on our door saying, do, do, do you know who I say you are? Do you know because of the work of my son who you really are? And do you know because of who you really are, the work that I have before you? 
And we say, nah, I don't know. Maybe I can find fulfillment over here. Maybe if I just got one more ladder climbed in my job, then, then I, would, I would be happy. Then I would be fulfilled. Then that would calm my anxiety, right? Then I would know who I am. Then I would be secure in myself. Anxiety is another ship that can derail us from obedience. Anxiety that can fill you to say, you know, the, I, I, I can't control things and I wish I kind of do and I, I need to control things and the more that I try it slips away and before you know it you're stuck and immobilized in anxiety and you're on this ship that's taking you to Tarshish and there's the will of God over here saying, I have something better for you. I, I, I have security for you and a future for you, a, a sealed future for you. And you're, in your anxiety, you're walking away from me. You're immobilized. And you're floating down this, the ever sea of turbulent waters of anxiety. You know, this happened to me actually years ago. Um, uh, how old was I? I was 18 around. This was going on now 16, 17 years ago. And, um, you know, I was obsessed with conspiracy theories. When I say obsessed, like I was, I was addicted, okay? The internet was like kind of new still then and, you know, YouTube wasn't a thing. So I was actually ordering like, uh, you know, well, VHSs, now I'm aging, but, you know, it wasn't that long ago, but yeah, I was ordering VHSs and DVDs and stuff and about all of these like, you know, Illuminati stuff. And then 9-11 happened and, I mean, you know, talk about setting me off in a course of um, anxiety about conspiracy theories, and I got lost in that. So much so that I was so obsessed and just full of anxiety and fear, right? That one morning I, I read that, you know, some nation across the ocean was going to send an EMP rocket to, you know, blow up over our skies at our country to take out our power grid and we'll go starve to death. And I remember reading that on the news. It was, I don't know what it was, you know. So I was uh, taking a shower. I, I, was, I was getting out and I found myself for the first time, I couldn't breathe. I was having a panic attack. And this is a good year into this, right? I had been derailed from mission, from obedience to God, derailed from anything of, of loving my neighbor, of being a light of the gospel to sitting in my room watching DVDs about all these secret evil agencies taking over the world. And I couldn't breathe. Like I literally was just like, God, I don't know what to do. This world is slipping out of my hands. How do I respond to this? I remember that word so clearly. He said, does this smell like me right here? Does this smell like the gospel? Is this really what... I have for you? Is these things breathe of life? Are these things giving you joy and fulfillment? And I said, no. He said, walk away. I have something better for you. Get off of that ship of Tarshish and head over to me because I have living waters for you. I fell into despair. And we'll see Joel, uh, 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 Jonah do that in just a minute. These things come in all shapes and sizes, these ships of Tarshish. And right now I, I ask you, are you on one yourself? Whatever it may be, whatever it may be looking like in your life. Are you on one that has derailed you from the wonderful and glorious plan that he has for your life that may be a difficult path but could provide joy and meaning and fulfillment? Are you on that path yourself? We're gonna move on here. 
because God in his grace, as Jonah said, all right, you said go right, I'm going left. I'm trying to get away from this stuff. This is an intentional effort by Jonah here. Some of the stuff we talked about is not so much intentional. It's like the slow snowball that kind of gets bigger over time. Well, for some of us, it's actually like a cognitive, intentional response to say, no, I'm just walking away right now. This is Jonah. So he walks away. You know what the worst thing that God could have done right now? It's just to left Jonah alone. The worst thing that could have happened in this story if God said, fine, Jonah, have what you want. Go for it. I pray, right, that we'll never, your, heart, your heart will not get so hard that God gives you over to those things, right? Because sometimes he does if it means we must hit a rock bottom scenario to say, fine, hit rock bottom, right? My hand will be there and I'm still going to catch you, but if that's what it takes, right? I pray that he doesn't have to do that. Jonah hits rock bottom in this story. We're going to see that. It takes some dramatic events to get Jonah to finally turn, right? But God incrementally, one step at a time, starts pursuing Jonah. He starts pursuing him. Because even if God uh, he, he does give you over to some of those things for a season, he still is pursuing you. He will never actually abandon you. And that's the love and grace of God. He said in, in Matthew 28, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You think if we talked about how Peter, right, he thought he knew better. So much so that he told Jesus, when Jesus said, I'm going to go die. And he said, Peter said, no, you're not. And, and Jesus said, you're talking like Satan right now. Because Satan wants to derail you and me from what God, our Father, has in mind. That's the job of the works of evil here, the workers of evil. And so God begins pursuing him because we're never too far gone. We are never too far gone that God stops pursuing us. Jonah gets on this boat, verse 4, and he's going out. But the Lord, Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Now it's kind of funny, right? I mean, think of this insane scenario. The ship, the, the storm is so bad, the ship is about to break apart and there's Jonah just, just like sleeping. And people are freaking out on top of the boat saying, we're about to die and we're throwing away the things we own just to survive. And there's Jonah asleep in this boat. That can happen though. To us that God pursues, pursues us and our heart gets so hard and so hard and so hard that when he's after us and he's sending us you know different versions of this storm right maybe it's a person in your life or a dramatic event to kind of give you that shake up to say hey are you awake I love you look on the path you're going wake up and we're just kind of keeping those eyes closed say, I'm just not gonna I'm not going to respond. I'm just going to continue to harden my heart as the storm rages on, as God is seeking to wake you up. As he knocks on that door, as in the book of Revelation, Jesus said he was doing to the church. He said, I'm knocking on that door. You know, I'm here. 
It's like, I'm gonna keep my eyes closed. I wanna stay, keep my heart hard. And so eventually, in verse six, they go down there, the captain. And you can imagine Captain Party kicking him or something, you know, in verse six, like, get up, right? He's like, what are you doing? You, what do you mean, you sleeper? Verse six, arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. These are all polytheistic, you know, uh, pagan people here that are worshiping whatever God that they had, and they, and they were desperate, right? And they said, maybe your God will respond. Wake up. We need help. And apparently Jonah didn't quite even come to terms what was going on even then. Here's the first, the second thing God did, right? First, he had this big storm, and Jonah's just like, uh. and here's the second thing, verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil had done upon us. Some people think this was like a, an ancient dice, almost, if you will. Some kind of way that they would, you know, toss it, and wherever the dice was pointing or landed to would be, you know, this divine providential answer to say, there's the issue. It's how my wife and I make all decisions in life. I'm kidding. It's not, we don't actually do that. But here, they cast lots. And who did it fall on? It fell on Jonah. The whole time you imagine Jonah kind of being silent, like as the storm is raging, he's just like, I'm just keeping my heart hard. I'm not responding. Verse 8, and they said to him, tell us on who was count this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? They're drilling him for answers. He said, I'm a Hebrew. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea in the dry land. You see a little bit of a hint that Jonah's kind of admitting here. It's like, maybe God's actually after me. <laughs> uh, maybe he's doing this. Maybe he's after me after all, right? My God made the sea in the dry land. That This, again, puts fear into this, these men. In verse 10, the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? But the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, this is Jonah talking, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. A couple things I want to note here. You know, you may read this and think this is some kind of like payment, as if like, you know, you know, it was a way to kind of pay for his sin to be thrown to the sea to make God kind of quiet down. And perhaps there's, you know, a little bit of that going on, but what I believe was happening here was despair from Jonah. We'll see in verse in chapter four, Jonah expresses that he wants to die, that he is so angry at God, as we'll see why later, that he just wants to die. And so when people say, like, what are you and what are you doing and blah, 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 he's like, yeah, I worship the God who made the sea. I'm running from him. And if you're being thrown overboard in the midst of a storm like this, what are you wishing? You're wishing for death. Kill me. I'm done. Just, I'm done here. Just take me out. He, he hit a point of despair here. Maybe some of you know what that's like. That you pursue some kind of elusive, you know, Tarsus, that you're just trying to find something to, to finally just bring that fulfillment. And you know in your heart that despair is just creeping and creeping and creeping 
up and you know what that feels like, those waves of sadness and depression and meaninglessness that comes from things that simply cannot deliver. You know, C.S. Lewis once said, he said, you know, the fact, I'm um, um, paraphrasing, he said, if not, no, maybe this is the exact, whatever. If nothing on this earth can satisfy me, maybe that means that I was made for another world. And what he meant by that was when you pursue anything, like I had a great meal last night, hot dogs, hamburgers, it was wonderful. I woke up and I was still hungry, Right? And I ate once again, right? Yeah, Lamar was there. He knows what's going on. It was good, but we're still hungry this morning, right? Because things are never quite enough in this life. You never have that meal and think, ah, oh, that was it. I'm just, no, never again. I'm just, I'm satisfied. No, you're not, right? Or you watch that really good movie. It's like, I don't have to watch the movie ever again. I'm satisfied. It's, no, you're not. No, you're not. Right? And this is where addictions can pop up. This is where we just start chasing after this or chasing after that to try to find fulfillment. And that begins that ship of Tarshish kind of going along and, and God's will is over here and God is in the background saying, me, me. You know there's an eternal hole in your heart that only an eternal God can fill and you are just drifting away from me. And I fear that right now we are in this cultural moment in the church where we're just allowing so many things around us to try to get all of our affections and all of the attention of our hearts as Christians to focus on this, to focus on that, to do this and to focus on this, you know, the, the, the political stuff and all these things. And God is saying, look, there's people that are so just in the, the throngs of despair that need the good news of Jesus. And what is getting your primary attention here? Are you indulging into these things and is it giving you life? My people out there are dying without knowing me. While people even sitting next to you in these pews just need the encouragement and prayers of a brother or a sister and you're just stuck in all these conversations and he's saying, wake up, there's work to do here. And even as you do it, I'm going to give you the waters of life and of joy that none of these things can possibly give you. Guys, our nation is ready for this. It is getting primed more and more day by day for Christians to stand up and to be objects of a supernatural love that I'm telling you is nowhere to be found out there right now. That as the storms are raging out there that the church can stand up and be this weird, strange entity that is just loving all and even our enemies and washing their feet in the name of Jesus and telling them the good news and people are saying, what are you doing? You're not, you're not a part of this. You're not participating in the rage. And we're saying, no, because Jesus is, he's paid for all those things. He loves you. And he desires to be your Lord and Savior. I lost my place. It's okay. <laughs> and so Jonah hit the thrones of despair, because that's what happens. He said, just take me out, guys, take me out. And so he's thrown to the sea. Even though it says in verse 13, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And therefore they called out to the Lord. They said, oh, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah and hurled it into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. 
Then the, mere, the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. It's kind of funny, right? It's like, oh, Lord, I promise I'll do this, I'll do that. I'll, you know, maybe been in that situation, right, where life flashes. It's kind, of, kind of the irony here is that these men are not worshipers of God. The whole time they're aware, like, the storm is, there's something bigger going on, and the guy who should have been aware of that was asleep and not seeing these things. And even now the guy is tossed into the sea that should have got these things, and the people who are not worshiping God now are worshiping God, we're getting little breadcrumbs to hear to say God cares about the nations and even these polytheistic worshipers in this boat. And now their hearts are turned toward God while the prophet of God is sinking down into the sea. Sometimes those out there that hit those places of despair are sometimes have a softer heart that even some Christians can sometimes have because they see reality for what it is, right? And they're ready to hear it. But God's grace doesn't stop here because Jonah didn't get his way. He didn't get his wish to leave. The storm stopped him. He's like, just kill me. Jumps off the edge of the boat and God says, no, sorry. I have something better for you. I have life for you. There's people out there that need to hear about me. So what does he do? In all of his grace and love, he sends a fish of all things to just swallow Jonah up. And it says that he was in that belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And if you, if you read, it says in verse 2, it says, Then Jonah prayed, which means for even three days in the belly of the fish, you sat there part just going, no, 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 no. And as we'll see next week, he breaks. He breaks. We're going to see what repentance looks like next week. But as we close call the worship team up as we near the end here. My prayer today is that we as the church can embrace the calling of God to be his ambassadors, to be representatives of him in this world. And it starts here in this church. In the coming weeks and months, we're going to be uh, uh, not just casting vision, but also implementing new, uh, just different ministries for discipleship as we kind of get into this post-COVID world. We pray continues to rapidly approach us, get into rhythms of discipleship, of pouring into one another, because all these things begin here in this room. If we can't love one another and serve one another and share the gospel and preach and, and show the gospel to one another here, right? It's going to be awful hard to do that on the outside for those in our community, in our city, who desperately need it. Does God need to send a fish right now to swallow you up, to wake you up? One more last try from God to say, are you going to listen to me or what? Because I love you. Next week, we're going to focus on repentance, but I want the seeds of repentance to be planted now to say, Lord is after you. He's not going to leave you alone until he gets his way. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, um, we as Americans don't like to be told what to do. We don't. From day one, we, there's a spirit of rebellion against authority in our nation. But Lord, you told Jonah what to do and he ran. And Lord, we just need to hear that sometimes, to be told that, Lord, you have sent us on a mission here. 
Lord, you said in, in the book of John chapter 20, you said, as a father has sent me, so I am sending you. Lord, you have sent us to one another and to our communities and our neighbors to be the light of the gospel to them. Lord, anything that may be serving as a ship of Tarshish in our life that is derailing us from that joyful life of living as a missionary, as a, as a obedient missionary, and living as a loving and gracious and truthful person to our neighbors and to even our church family here. Lord, anything that may be derailing us from that, Lord, deliver us from it. I'll never forget the day I was delivered from that just season of so much anxiety in my life, Lord, that had derailed me from the truths of the gospel and even from my neighbors who needed to hear it. Lord, would you deliver us from those things? And Lord, would you use us as a church for these things, Lord? It is a tumultuous season in America. And Lord, may the church just um, become that strange other entity here that is just lifting up the light of Christ for all to see. And Lord, as our nation rages against, you know, us versus them and who are my enemies and not, Lord, may we offer the forgiveness of Christ to all who need it, Lord. May we be people of repentance, Lord, who have open ears and eyes to see your work in our life that we may not be like Jonah asleep in the bottom, Lord, or still having stiff arms three days into sitting in the belly of a fish, Lord. May we be sensitive to your spirit in responding to these things. Lord, don't leave us alone, Lord. You promised you wouldn't, so we don't have to worry about that, Lord. You will never, ever forsake us. In your grace, no matter how wayward someone may be here this morning, Lord, they may just feel completely unworthy to respond and to, to be used by you, whoever that might be in this room, Lord. May they know the wonders of your grace, even as we sung earlier this morning. May the grace of the gospel and just the, the loving, gentle arms, just like in the story of the prodigal father who Jonah kind of sounds like here, there's the son who ran away and the father just waited with his arms open, Lord, that's where you are this morning to receive us back. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.